Welcome to the Brand Ambassadors, your wide-angle look at the field of PR and what it means for your company. Your host is Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield. Every firm has a compelling narrative that sets them apart from the crowd. In your company, you can use your own background and storytelling to your advantage as well as that of your business. Now, here are your hosts, Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield. Good morning. It's 7 a.m. in Silver City, New Mexico, and I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen, uh, broadcasting to you live from my mother's dining room table. Uh, it's a good day, though, because I'm helping, uh, helping her move, and so I get points for being a great daughter. Gary, what are you up to this morning? Well, uh, just sitting around waiting for uh, this great show, and uh, and I will tell you that, um, that our our second guest, our our friend Jeff, is uh, he brought in some well, he brought in some stuff related to the topic. So we'll, are you guys we'll, drinking? Are you guys are drinking already? No, we're thinking about it though. <sighs> well, uh, for all uh, all that uh, subtle foreshadowing. Uh, it's the beer show. We couldn't be more excited about uh, this episode. Our focus, of course, on the brand ambassadors is uh, storytelling for any organization and uh, helping uh, individual employees, executives, everyone involved in uh, a business agency organization become effective ambassadors and storytellers uh, for uh, for their work, for their professional, for their profession, and I think today's topic is one everyone can get behind, and that's beer. <laughs> I agree. I, well, not everybody's a beer drinker, but we'll can, we'll we'll have oh, them as converts before the end me. of the show, <laughs> including me. Um, I I prefer uh, my liquor to be non-carbonated and brown, but uh, that's just me. And so uh, with that, I'm I'm so excited with our uh, first guest. Uh, we're talking with Bob Lenz. Uh, Bob was uh, the creative director behind two of the largest campaigns, uh, most successful campaigns uh, uh, we've seen uh, for beer marketing in the tw- uh, 21st, uh, excuse me, 20th century. Um, and uh, Bob's, Bob's with us uh, this morning. Thanks, Bob, for joining us. You're welcome. I'm here. <clears throat> Great, and uh, you, you know, you got started uh, from Chicago with a fine arts background. How did you make the leap into advertising? Um, well, I was at the University of Illinois. I was studying fine arts, and I just happened to see this uh, course called Advertising Design. So I took it in my last uh, semester, and uh, I don't know. I think I was just turned on by the idea of coming to New York, and uh, that really spurred me on, and I left Champaign-Urbana in my 57 Chevy and drove right across to Manhattan and started a job. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, at the at time you were uh, uh, working uh, in advertising, uh, the beer industry, the brewing industry, was, was pretty different. There weren't a lot of players uh, in the American beer scene. Yes, and it, and it was a pretty exciting field because... Um, there were very few uh, uh, norms and, and restrictions, and every beer company was doing outlandish uh, stuff, and uh, it was it looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. <clears throat> and so, did, go ahead, Gary. That was, and did it turn out to be? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. It was the best uh, campaigns I have worked on in my entire career, and, and it was... Uh, 
it was it was so much fun, especially Miller Lite, um, which we can talk about later. But uh, it, it was great. Oh, and more fun, uh, more, more fun than uh, uh, soap soap suds or. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I know one of uh, the campaigns uh, that you led is is making a comeback now for uh, Miller Time, for Miller High Life. Yeah, it was. Um, we started that campaign in 1971, I think, and um, Bill Backer, who was uh, sort of my co- cohort, wrote the uh, music for that. If you've got the time, we've got the beer, and. Um, <clears throat> The thing that we really did in those days, prior to our getting the account, Miller had done this um, Al Hurt, very fancy champagne bottle kind of advertising. And our goal was to take, take the uh, beer out of the champagne bucket and uh, put it into the lunch, buck, lunch bucket. <clears throat> and that was sort of uh, masculinizing that, that product. And also made it okay to drink beer at lunch. Of course, anytime. <laughs> I don't start this early, though. <laughs> well, uh, what I was really fascinated uh, in in our earlier conversations was uh, the, the research you did to try and save what was at the time a failing brand uh, for the client, uh, Miller Lite. Yes, I mean this this is pretty much a classic case of of, of research leading leading the uh, band here. Um, when Philip Morris bought the Miller Brewing Company in 1970, along with um, uh, Miller High Life, they had a, pr- a product called Meisterbrow, and Meisterbrow Light was one of their offshoots. And it was not a national beer by any chance, but we sh- we noticed that there were there was a pocket of heavy drinkers down in Anderson, Indiana which was a, a, a steel town right next to the steel mills. It's really a blue-collar town, but they were drinking a lot of Meisterbrow Light. So we sent the research people down there and um, hung around for a while, and they realized um, they were drinking this beer because it didn't fill them up, and they, therefore they could drink, drink more. And that was really the backbone of the campaign, uh, although at the time we didn't really know it. But the whole concept of less filling was sort of borne out by this this uh, research. And, and I love that it's it's so um, uh, so classic. Who's drinking this stuff? Why are they drinking it? Oh, we can build something around that. And I I think everyone loves the story that oh we're drinking it because we can get drunker. <laughs> I guess that's an interpretation. But the whole <laughs> idea of uh, and. and it was called Meisterbrow Light, but they didn't um, push the concept of lightness at all. It was just, they, I don't think the drinkers even saw that on the can, but they just kept drinking it. <clears throat> drinking it. So, did so you then, take, go ahead. Did you take that research and then move it, um, basically take that and then uh, create a new, uh, a new product or uh, rebrand a product to get to Miller Light from Meisterbrow? Yes. Uh, if I recall, in those days, um, the agency had to make a decision as to whether we were going to recommend spending any money against Meisterbrow Light, which became Miller Light. Was it worth it? Was it 
worth the marketing effort. And, and we said, it, if we're going to do it, we have to compete in the heavy beer drinker market. There, the light market was not uh, big enough to support a national brand. So as soon as we had that um, less filling information, then we had to say, okay, we've, we'll take it, but we've got to go against a heavy beer drinker uh, uh Anheuser-Busch and uh, Pabst and all those beers that were around at that time. <clears throat> so what did you get? So, so of course, the, the, the slogan became taste great, less filling, not just purely less filling. So how did you, how did you decide to come up with that? Well, it was, it was a typical uh, creative versus account uh, executive argument. Um, we, we were, had done about four or five uh, commercials promoting the less filling aspect of it, and like a good client, they said, "Well, you've got to you've got to hit up the uh, taste aspect of it also." So that led to the so-called argument between, "I drink it because it's less filling." No, I drink it because it tastes great, and it just became one of those silly uh, things that caught on, <clears throat> and. Um, the actual very first line that was written for the campaign, although nobody, very few people remember, it was Miller Lite, everything you wanted in a beer and less. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that yeah, clearly. Yeah, and, and, and it, it hung around for a while, but we kind of realized the taste great, less filling was going to take over, and, and, and that, was, uh, that was what really um, became... Uh, sort of famous in those days. I think what's interesting, too, is the fact that um, over time, um, Miller, just plain old Miller, um, the champagne of beers or whatever it was, um, no one even, after that, it seemed to me that no one even thought of that beer. I, it, it seems, did, did, did the Miller Lite campaign actually hurt the regular Miller brand? Um, not really, because uh, Miller High Life, if you've got the time, we've got the beer that that concept of uh, uh, getting um, uh, workers having their first beer at Miller time when the sun goes down, that whole concept kept um, building and growing and growing the, um, the, uh, the product. And, and we were really fighting against Budweiser in those days. So it was, a, it was the Miller High Life kept growing, and it, came, it became the number two beer before Miller Lite uh, came into it. And, and um, I remember um, Augie Bush, the, the younger one, he and John Murphy, who was the president of Miller, had a wonderful sort of uh, pseudo fight going on. And, and um, uh, he was really afraid that Miller High Life was going to take over Budweiser. And uh, we, of course, we never did, but uh, it was pretty close for a while. <clears throat> But then all of the attention then turned to Miller Lite, not, not out of the brewery, but uh, from the user, from the drinkers. <clears throat> did that campaign, was that campaign uh, beyond broadcast? Did it all, I, mean, I would imagine it also um, made its way into the entire campaign, print as well. Oh, yes. Um, and billboards. Billboards were, were kind of fun. I mean, we, um, when we started using the athletes in the commercials, um, You'd, you'd be driving along and you'd see a big Bubba Smith on the um, uh, billboard or a Dick Buckus on the billboard, 
and um, it, it was just a continuation of of the tastes great, less filling. <clears throat> How long do, how long does a campaign like that go and and when do you when do you, and how do you know when it's time for uh, it to to either move on completely from it or at least reduce it and try something else? Good question. Um, that the campaign ran for uh, twenty years. Our first test market commercial was in nineteen seventy one, and it sort of ran out of gas in um, um, nineteen ninety one. And as far as what, how do you know when it's run its course? It's a tough question, but um, clearly we were seeing uh, sales dropping, um, and we were at the agency uh, coming up with all kinds of alternative campaigns, and and um, everybody was working on it, and et cetera, et cetera, and we finally just couldn't couldn't beat it. And in fact, um, other agencies worked on it and, and they they really couldn't beat it either i'm talking about miller light now um and uh we've got to go to break but you know that uh i think also really uh 1991 foreshadows just a huge uh upheaval coming to the beer market and we will talk about that with bob lens uh right after this don't forget to come back to the brand ambassadors Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today 
please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Ponderfield, along with uh, Merritt Hamilton-Allen and our uh, first guest uh, for this show today, Bob Lenz. We're talking about beer. It's the beer episode. And uh, actually, when you're talking branding, uh, I mean, nothing sticks in your mind more, I don't think, than uh, beer, although today maybe the insurance industry. But uh, beer is certainly a big one. Before we left, um, we were talking about the, you know, this 20-year campaign that Bob worked on. Uh, for Miller Lite, and uh, as uh, during the break, we were talking about the fact that the uh, campaign waned, and the beer drinker has changed. So, Bob, take us take us from where we were to to the next step. Right. Well, um, in the early seventies, when we broke the, uh, the the Miller Lite campaign, I, I had mentioned we had to go after the heavy beer drinker in in order to make make the uh, effort make sense. And in those days, the heavy beer drinker was the Archie Bunker, uh, uh, tough guy uh, image. Uh, he watched sports and sat on the couch and drank beer. And that's sort of who we went after um, in the beginning of the campaign. Through the 20 years, the, the beer drinker profile changed dramatically. It, be, it, it became younger. I mean, not, I'm sorry, not younger, but uh, more... Women and also college-educated people, and uh, uh, it, it just—we really had to be cognizant of that as we were building the campaign. And I think by '91, when we finally took the campaign off the air, um, that profile of the heavy user had changed uh, uh, radically. <clears throat> and something you'd mentioned uh, to me, Bob, was. Uh, uh, and you hinted at uh, in earlier comments on uh, today's show, uh, this was a very masculine branding campaign. How did uh, did, did was there ever an effort to bring uh, women into um, into the branding effort? Uh, yes, it was. I have to admit, it was kind of a feeble effort, but we did along the lines, and we would bring in. Um, um, we had a uh, roller derby. Roller derby uh, spokesman who did one commercial um, and there were a few others but um, uh, primarily it was a it was a men's masculine campaign um, we had written a great script for uh, Dolly Parton but um, uh, we never got around to, <laughs> to using her um, but uh, yes we tried to bring women in uh, through through the years <clears throat> Do you think that um, a more aggressive uh, attempt to uh, bring women into uh, the market uh, might have kept it going longer? Um, possibly. It might have uh, required a, a different tonality in the campaign. Um, and uh, because if it were perceived that we're just bringing in women uh, because we know the mar- uh, women are drinking more beer... Um, it might have rung a bit false, but um, right. Uh, I, I, I think if we really wanted to um, spend efforts on on women, it would have to be a, a different campaign. Um, um, I think, in retrospect, I think, 
the late late eighties and early nineties, I think, is when that whole um, uh, wine cooler thing came about. I think that might have gone after more women. Um, yes. yes, definitely, so. definitely. What was that? And Bartles and Bartles and James or something? Yeah, that was yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. And that was when I was really just starting uh, my social social drinking. And I, I will say this, uh, I, I think what you said about it might have rung false. Um, I got irritated going to a party when uh, they'd say, okay, here here's Olympia for the guys and there's some uh, cool wine coolers for the girls. I didn't want to no, drink a girl drink. That's so, that's so chauvinistic. And we were, I, I confess, I think we were all victims of uh, we we just sort of did that in those days, thinking it was it was it was all right. And it, well, and that's a, that's okay. The but you know that's okay because you know wanting to be part of the crowd and one of the cool kids. Um, you know, I I very much wanted to identify as a beer drinker, albeit a reluctant one. Uh, uh, little secret: I don't really enjoy beer. <laughs> Oh, yes. But if it was that or a wine cooler, I was absolutely drinking Miller. We're going to take a break right now and uh, give us a call or send us an email, meanwhile, and uh, we'll be back with Bob Lentz on the Brand Ambassadors in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
are listening to The Brand Ambassadors. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, and uh, thanks for joining us today on The Brand Ambassadors, where we are continuing The Beer Show. Uh, we've been talking with Bob Lentz, who was the creative director at McCann Erickson, and ran uh, created and ran the uh, uh, Miller uh, Miller Time and uh, Miller Lite Less Filling Taste Great campaigns. We've also got now in the studio with Gary, uh, Jeff Bender, uh, Jeff uh, is uh, a professional and bon vivant uh, that Gary and I have known for years. We're uh, really lucky to get to work with him now. Uh, uh, Jeff has done just about every outreach communication job you can have in the United States Navy and NATO and uh, Joint Commands. And when he uh, uh, hung up his eagles, he uh, decided to uh, pursue a passion of his, which was craft beer, and spent a couple years uh, working with uh, local breweries in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, uh, selling beer, living beer, um, just being part of uh, the beer dream. So, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be with you. And and with the two of you on, I'd like to uh, uh, ask, ask uh, you know, what hap- How do you see uh, the beer market in the U.S. changing in the 90s? Um, I, I remember a big diversification of products just amongst the, the main brewers. You know, suddenly um, I'm at, you know, at a party and someone hands me a Bud Dry with lime. Uh, so it's, 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 it seemed like there was just a lot of sectoring uh, within the major brewers uh, in the early 90s. Well, from my perspective... Um we saw all kinds of uh, niche products uh, being introduced by Anheuser-Busch would come out with these various products. And I think it was a, a pretty obvious attempt to bring in the new beer drinker, which would be women and also um, guys who wore shirts and ties as opposed to just uh, blue collars. <clears throat> You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I was. I remember uh, uh, different people I spoke to. How how things changed. You know, back in the '60s and the '70s, the 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 the, the jacket and tie guys, the white collar guys, they would have a, a mixed drink, maybe a martini, something like that. Um, right. But uh, going into the '90s and the 2000s, um, you'll have people in that, that same group, white collar, who, who never had a mixed drink in their life. They're stra- beer drinkers, and that's it. Maybe wine. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was um, it, it was a real shift uh, in society, I think. And um, as advertisers, you really have to be aware of that. We might have been caught a little flat-footed at the time, but um, but uh, eventually they had to change the campaign. <clears throat> Jeff, I want to uh, ask you, when do you think um, the craft beer movement started in the U.S.? That's a good question. I was uh, doing a little research in, in uh, anticipation in of coming in a bar, and uh, Merritt knows that there's pictures of me every time on Facebook with a beer, and it's either me holding the beer or uh, 
drinking the beer. But my family used to tell me, Jeff, you know, your employer's not going to like that. Well, then when I got a job working at a brewery, what's the employer going to say? So um, I was doing, as I said, doing the research. 1965, I saw Anchor Brewing Company was coming on as a craft brewery. But I think it really didn't catch on. Uh, I'd say within the last 15 to 20 years. Um, I went out to Omaha, Nebraska in 2011, and I started my craft beer itch. And I will still drink a Bud Light, a Coors Light. I will never turn down a free beer. And if I go over to somebody's house for a picnic, um, I can appreciate when they have something on tap, you're not going to say, no, I'll, I'll go bring a bottle. Wait a minute. There has to be something. You're, there has to be some level where you say, no, that is... That is Iron where City? I say no. <laughs> no not PBR? Iron City. <laughs> Rolling Rock or something, but no. Um, I think Gary and I were talking about this earlier before we went on the air. I think Michelob was probably my introduction to um, the commercial beer. My dad drank Miller Lite, uh, Rolling Rock, and, and he drank the seven-ounce nips, but uh, we didn't have that craft beer market now and and now working and i'd just like to put a shout out to the brewery in nebraska the nebraska brewing company the one i worked for was the largest brewery in the in the state of nebraska they're celebrating their 10th anniversary uh this weekend so I'll all be, right i'll be out flying there tomorrow morning to yeah. go uh, participate in celebrations so anyway um yeah 2013 to answer your question merit there was 3,000 craft breweries. Today, we're getting close to 7,000 craft breweries in the United States. How do they market themselves? Because, I mean, obviously, we've been talking about the big brands. What about these craft beers? How do they go about marketing themselves? Well, and listening to Bob talk and knowing the campaigns for Budweiser, for Miller, for Coors and all that, there is, if you look on TV, you will not see the craft breweries you know, marketing themselves on a TV commercial. Uh, they're yeah. smaller scales. Um, the largest one being, uh, hard to believe, people won't believe that Yingling is a craft brewery, but it's the largest craft brewery in the United States, as well as the oldest craft brewery in the United States. When do you leave being a craft brewery and become a mainstream brewery? It's in the quantities uh, that you use, and it's also in the type of ingredients you use. So, uh, Bob may be able to ca- uh, comment on that a little bit more, but they're mass-produced the number of barrels they do. You've got a, uh, a Yingling. Sam Adams is a craft beer as well, too. I mean, and I look back on my days probably in the 90s of drinking a Sam Adams cherry wheat. Who would have ever thought you'd put cherries in a, in a beer? But it was quite tasty. Now we're putting chocolate in beers. We're putting grapefruit in beers. We're putting molasses in beers. And it's attracting a, an audience that was not drinking beer before. So Bob was the uh, was the the, the the this craft brewery um, explosion. Did uh, what kind of impact did it have on what you were doing? Well, I don't think it really. Uh, as I had mentioned before, the Miller Lite campaign um, was essentially over in '91. So uh, and it, I, it wasn't due to craft beers. I, I don't think. I mean, I suppose they they had some role in it, but. Um, uh, I don't remember craft beers coming onto any national scene um, until um, probably the mid two thousands. I'm not sure about uh, that. Um, but the uh, beer drinker I live with started drinking Sierra Nevada Pale Ale in the late nineties. So, uh, but I, I would agree with you. Um, there, there was a gap, and it, it, to me, it seemed that uh, the beer industry was just diversifying um, in itself and creating new brands to um, uh, reach a, a, a 
a market with more variegated tastes. And, you know, I always thought Sam Adams was just a craft brand for one of the major brewers, or is it owned by one of the major brewers, or is it still independent? It's owned by the Boston Beer Company, so oh, okay. that's, Sam Adams is their their beer and what they've gotten their uh, claim to fame on. But yeah, some people don't even look at Sam Adams as a craft beer, but you have to. I mean, they're I I almost think that they're the ones that not kicked it off, but have gotten the most notoriety out of being a craft brewery other than Yingling. I often wonder. I was going to say I often wonder how many people um, drink a particular beer because it's the in thing to do. As opposed to, you know, you may, maybe they actually want just a good old-fashioned Miller High Life, but that just doesn't sound, that just doesn't look right compared to drinking a Sam Adams or something. Well, and I think, too, when you go into, I look at the craft breweries now almost like the mom-and-pop uh, bars back in the, the 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, where you go down and you see your friends and you go there. You're not, we're, the people that I know are not getting, going there to binge drink and just you know, see how many they can drink. They're drinking a quality beer. They're sharing stories. They're enjoying the time they're spending together. And then they're getting back in their car. And there's probably the strong likelihood that, you know, they're going to make it home pretty pretty safe. But the, the thing is, you're, you're looking at that uh, these people are, are not doing this for uh, just to go out there and your college days, your frat days or whatever. I can say to you that in the, in the craft beer market, what – used to get to us when we were at the brewery was somebody would walk in and ask, what do you have that's like a Bud Light or a Coors Light? We wanted to be a, a wise guy and say that there's a bar down on the corner that serves exactly that, but you want to introduce that person to a craft beer because now you have a new customer. We would introduce them to a Pilsner, to a lager, something easy tasting, a Hefeweizen. Um, you know, Merritt, you were asking uh, earlier about women in, in the craft beer market or in the beer market in general. We didn't find that there was a lot of women who wanted the heavy IPAs or something, so we would introduce them to a lighter beer. And there's there's quite a few women out there drinking craft beer. I'm, I'm sure they would echo that. I think that it's interesting that the, the term IPA, I mean, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago even, people that would be a phrase that, I mean, a Letters that people wouldn't even know what that meant at all. Now, I think it's the craft beer industry that brought that about. For, exactly. And, and IPAs, for, for those listening, India Pale Ale goes back to the days when the uh, British sailors were heading on their way to India. And if their beer was going bad, um, they would hop it up a little bit and allow their beer to last longer. Well, in addition to hopping, hopping the beer up, you're increasing the ABV. And uh, an average beer is in the 4% range of ABV. I've seen beers out there on the market that are 17% ABV, and they would only serve you four to eight ounces at one time of that beer. 17%. That sounds like back when I was in college and we were drinking Schlitz, Schlitz malt, but hey. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, you know, and one thing I, I find interesting is um, craft beer in some ways um, has become – uh, the poster child for the hipster movement. And, uh, you know, as soon as I hear craft beer, I also think someone's going to call something artisanal. Uh, and then I start picturing ironic facial hair, um, maybe some subtle ear gauges, sus- suspenders being worn. Uh, and there's a, there's some hipster backlash. Does craft beer experience any of that? Oh, absolutely. And if you would look at the majority <laughs> majority of brewers, uh, whether they're commercial brewers or home brewers, facial hair facial hair is the norm. And the more facial hair you have, 
probably uh, you're, you've been into the craft beer a lot longer. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, uh, getting back to Bob for a minute, about um, it, so where, did, where is the advertising industry for beer uh, today? What's, the, what's, what's going on now? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, uh, I remember back in the days uh, when we were doing the various campaigns, the mantra was, uh, you are what you drink. And um, the campaigns were uh, pretty clear-cut in terms of um, who they were going after. Um, Budweiser was always spending, uh, outspending everybody else, and they had um, the horses on one hand, which gave it a very quality image, and then they would show you just uh, fraternity boys uh, at, at a ball game or something like that. So they had both ends covered that way. Uh, um, I'm not that aware of um, the national campaigns. I think it's basically uh, user image kind of advertising that um, they're portraying parties and and we're trying to um, show all the fun you could have while drinking. Right. I, I think right, right, uh, right now there's a, a Corona campaign showing that, you know, this young um, hip couple and they're having a party in their backyard and the people are coming and at the end of the day they all go away and then they, they share they share a Corona together. So, yeah. or or uh, uh, people working out hours a day and having then going and having a Michelob Ultra, which I guess is <laughs> yep. vegan. Well, one thing you had mentioned, Merritt, was uh, the big the big beer buyers and and craft beer. Well, Anheuser Busch now has Anheuser Busch InBev, and they're the largest beer company in the world. They're buying up a lot of these craft breweries, putting them. Yep. So when I would walk into a, uh, I was talking to Gary earlier. When I would walk into what we call out in the Midwest a high V, which would be comparable to a Giant or Harris Teeter, I would have to. Get in underneath somebody else's uh, wing. So whether it be a Budweiser, a Coors Light, or a Miller, they were the anchor beer. When they would walk in to sell a beer, they would sell ours as part of a portfolio, and we were we were just a small. Because you walk into any grocery store out in the Midwest, the the aisles are filled with Budweiser, Coors Light, but the craft beer are often a separate section, and and uh, you're going to get a case of Budweiser for less than fifteen dollars. Craft beer, some craft beers could cost you uh, ten dollar ten dollars a six pack. Is it also the international think, beers? Oh, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Bob. I was just going. I, you can corroborate this, but I think the big breweries like Anheuser Busch and Coors and Miller have come out with their own craft beers. Um, I don't recall the name of any of them, but I think they I think they each have a so-called craft beer so they can play in that marketplace. Are you aware of that um, at all, Jeff? Yeah, um, exactly. With, with Anheuser-Busch, they, have, they carry 400 different types of beers, 400 beer brands. Yep. Um, and just I looked at their numbers for estimated for 2017. They're estimated to make 55 billion dollars. And some of the beers they have underneath theirs, I mean, in addition to Budweiser and Corona, or Stella Artois, uh, they've bought. Uh, I want to say Stone Brewing Company out in uh, California, Escondido. So some of these come underneath the InBev, and it, it, to the craft beer, the home brewer, and the craft beer enthusiast. 
as soon as they see that InBev has bought up another craft brewery, it kind of is like fingers on the chalkboard. Right. Uh, I imagine. Yeah. I didn't know they. I didn't know they own Stella. So, about that. Yeah, and and Miller Coors Light is also in the same category as uh, Anheuser Busch InBev. There. Actually, I, I looked on uh, line. I saw. Um, I, I saw the Pabst name and saw they have they have like the twenty beers under them that I saw, and that's just Pabst. I thought Pabst was like yeah. gone or something. Well, of course, PBR is the the kind of hipster counter craft beer, and you'll see that you know uh, three dollar drafts, two dollar drafts as uh, kind of a thing now. Um, with just a few minutes before break, um, I wanted to just talk with Bob a little bit about his post beer life. Um, you're a, a very widely known and respected representational artist. What, what's your medium and what's your inspiration? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, I, I started back, way back in high school painting and drawing, and I used, always used to draw. And um, uh, then when I uh, uh, went, into, went to college, I studied fine art and came out in the advertising business. And for uh, I had a 38-year hiatus, and then I started painting again. And it was just something that I've always wanted to do, and I love it. Well, and I want to steer uh, everyone uh, to your website because I'm loving your portraits. I'm looking right now as your self-portrait with palette. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, and that would be R Lens Art, R-E-R-L-E-N-Z-A-R-T dot com. Um, a huge body of work. And I got to say, I think um, uh, selling beer instead of starving in a garret was a good career choice for you. So, I mean, I, I have no complaints. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we made uh, our mark in the in the industry, and um, I got out at the right time, I think, because the advertising agencies have changed so radically. Um, so, anyhow, it was it was a good uh, good time. <clears throat> well, Bob, and thanks I, so much for. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, uh, it, it's it's been fascinating uh, hearing the story, and I'm I'm also uh, eager to follow uh, your newfound art career because you, you've got a tremendous body of work. So, thanks again, Thank Bob you. Lenz at rlensart yep. com. Thank you very much. All right. Come back with us uh, after the break, and don't uh, don't forget we do also uh, take calls and emails. So uh, call in at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, or email us at brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. Coming back in a few. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. 
At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back, everybody. I'm Gary Potterfield, along with Merritt Hamilton-Allen on the Brand Ambassadors, and we have in studio still with us uh, Jeff Bender, a public affairs officer extraordinaire and craft brewery aficionado, and um, we're going to be talking more about uh, the craft brewery business with Jeff in just a second. But first, guys, I, I, I want to do some have some fun, fun with you, um, because in the advertising world, I mean, I think the brew, uh, beer advertising probably stands out more than just about anything. And so I'll, we're going to do a little bit of a trivia for, for you, uh, Jeff, and you, Merritt. So I'm going to throw out some um, slogans, and you tell me what, what beer it is. Okay, some are easy, some are impossible. Here, here's the first one. Australian for beer. What's that one? Foster's. Foster's. Excellent. You only got that because of my accent. <laughs> That's the only reason you were That's, able to. Okay, hold on. New Zealand, right? <laughs> okay, uh, how about lose the carbs, not the taste? Michelob Ultra. Golly, way to go, Merritt. <laughs> okay. Place on Jeopardy. Okay, here, it's, here's, a, here's one. I am Canadian. Molson. Molson. You guys. Okay, how about, um, let me try one that's a little bit, here's one. A whole lot can happen out of the blue. Uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon? Uh, Leblat? Leblat? Leblat Blue. Now here's one. Here's here's. I'm going to give you several on this one that I don't think they could possibly do in this era we're in right now. But I'm going to. You'll probably get it quickly. Germany's fun-loving beer. Um, the original party girl. Put her on a pedestal or a coaster, 
And same same poly girl. Yeah, you never forget your first, first girl. Your first girl, right? <laughs> yep. I, I don't believe that they could get away with that <laughs> no, anymore. No. And I will say that's that, but that's one of the few uh, beers I enjoy. I like St. Pauli Girl Dark. Oh well, good. Uh, that's uh, have, now here's some. Okay, um, uh, I'll give you three for this one and see if you can get it. A better beer deserves a better can. It's all about the beer. Lager beer at its best. Does that ring a bell at all? It didn't ring a bell for me at all. Drawers? And it's a major brand. Coors? Nope. Heineken. Heineken. Didn't, uh, meant nothing to me. Oh, uh, that, that's right, because when they went to Cannes, they did a big promo on it. Okay, I'll do uh, just two more. Head for the Mountains. Coors. Yeah, nope. Coors. Nope. Oh, Golden. Nope. Oh. It's Bush. And uh, let me see. I'll just do. Uh, I'm so out of this. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just do one more, and then um, and uh, let your tastes travel. Not a clue. That's Lowenbrow. That's Dos Equis. Ah. And I will tell you, when I, when I was a kid, not a kid. Okay, when I was a when I was just drinking age, um, they had commercials. Uh, and it was this commercial that with this really macho kind of Dos Equis beer. I thought it was like some Polish beer. <laughs> some guy named Dosecki or something. Right, E C K I. All right, all right. That's our trivia. We should we should have added. I, I was hoping. Trivia. I was I was poised for hams. I knew that was going to be the hard one. I, I didn't have from hams. the land of sky blue water, water. Oh yeah, that's right. And then of course there's the beer that made Milwaukee famous. But we'll move on. Schlitz. That is Schlitz. Yes. That is Schlitz. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, this whole craft beer business. How do I mean? You were telling me before before we went on the show, Jeff, about this one, you know, uh, uh, grocery store in the Midwest where they had what eight hundred different craft beers. I checked it out, and eight hundred craft beers on the shelf. And and as we were talking, Gary, where do you put that inventory? You, you don't you don't have the space for that inventory. So you're carrying maybe a six pack, a case at a time. Um, sometimes these beers are sold in 500 milliliter bottles. Sometimes they're sold in 700 milliliter bottles. A big thing with the craft world is barrel aged beers. You have a, uh, you'll have a whiskey barrel, you'll have a bourbon, uh, a rye, something, you know, old Jack Daniels barrel that they only use twice or how many times they can use them and they'll then sell them. We can, repurpose them, put a beer in there, let it sit for six months. The beer then absorbs what was in the host barrel before. It could be a Chardonnay barrel, and then we get a Chardonnay beer out of it. Uh, but it also ups the ABV. So I think that's a lot of the craft beer enthusiasts like the fact that you're not drinking a Pilsner, a lager that comes in under 5%. You're drinking a beer that's coming in at 8%, and you're drinking only one or two of those beers instead of going in and, and drinking the a six pack. So how, does, how does the startup craft brewer does I mean go about get making selling his beer? He well, here's the big problem right now, especially in Nebraska, is you have to latch on to a distributor because self distribution is only allowed in certain cases, and so it's a legal thing. It's not a practical thing. Correct. And so, big argument out in Nebraska was you have to get to a distributor. Distributor has to put it on the floor of his warehouse. And then before they get it out to the store. So it was, a, I was up in another part of uh, the country where self-distribution is allowed, but it's a smaller a brewery, a three-barrel brewery as compared to a 
barrel brewery. But and that's a something that's a quirk thing that we're seeing um, in New Mexico is the micro distillery movement. Um, it is so hard to get a liquor license in New Mexico because um, there's a finite number of them. It's a fixed number of li- liquor licenses per capita. So uh, you can only have so many liquor licenses in a town unless you are making a micro product and uh, selling it on the site. And uh, and uh, that's a very interesting way to get it around. It makes me think of bootlegging Uh, and it's uh, avoiding state fees. Um, It's a little racy. It's to me like the perfect entrepreneurial mindset. Did you see the uh, the ads out now for the uh, what is it's coming around this time of year the uh, the Budweiser prohibition bottles oh, the new bottles correct <clears throat> yeah well it's funny you say that Merrick, because there's a, there was one of the arguments out there in Nebraska was that you had to physically brew on site to be able to open a satellite uh, store so and there was like no you can't take your beer and make it in Lincoln and then go sell it in Omaha you have to you have to have that facility have a actual brewery inside of it. So that was something they were trying what to do. What if you're in the well. next state? Can you get the, can those beers cross state lines? They can cross state lines, but then there's another problem. You have to have a distributor who's willing that has that license to be able to distribute in those states. One of the things I wanted to mention too is, you know, uh, as Merritt mentioned, I do a lot of research and I keep track of my research on an app called Untapped. And people laugh at me and they say, you actually track your beers. And I said, yes, I do, because you can also rate them and uh, I'm only at 100 plus, but I've seen people that uh, their app is up over 1,000. So you got to get working on it. You, we're going to get you into this, Gary. <laughs> right, wow, well, Mary. I, I know. What a show. I mean, I, I feel like we need, we did two episodes of Crisis Communication. I feel like we need to do the beer show part two, micro distilleries, because I am maybe, all about that. Or maybe it'll be the wine show. That would also be okay. Maybe we need to do all three, but um, uh, uh, whatever we decide, we will thank everybody uh, for joining us today. Bob Lentz, Jeff Bender, uh, for Gary Potterfield, I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Brand Ambassadors. We'll We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Brand Ambassadors. Please join Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield for another edition next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.